Parents, welcome to another episode of The Journey, a podcast intended to educate, equip, and entertain you as we talk about important issues facing our families. PCA is a Christ-centered, biblically-based, and family-focused community of committed believers doing life together. We hope the information you hear on this podcast informs and inspires you to be a better parent. Welcome to The Journey. back to the journey. This is Dan Benetti. Uh, I've got Marco, who's a, a new friend um, out in um, sunny California, I'm assuming, right? That's right. San Diego. Oh, I love it. I love it. We were just out there for a, a mini mester and uh, you've got some beautiful beaches, beautiful weather. It's uh, it's amazing to be able to wake up, um, I guess, in the morning and, and look um, you know, at the mountains on one side of you and at the ocean on the other side of you. So yeah. You know, bl- yeah, bless you for, um, you know, struggling for, in the kingdom uh, out there in San Diego, <laughs> California. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so, but uh, I, I got your name um, off of a list, and this is going to come up this fall. Um, Johnny Farr is doing some incredible work here at the church, and he put together um, kind of just a, a marriage and family ministry, um, looking at uh, kind of helping to train our parents, which I'm super excited about. And this whole podcast is about training our parents here at the school. Um, but I was kind of reading down through the names, and I, you know, I recognize all recognize all the names and. I ran across one and it said, Mark, and I'm going to, I'm going to try your last name, even though I know you go by Marco, <laughs> right? But I, I grew up around a bunch of Germans in Wisconsin and I would say, oh, striker. Oh, you just nailed it. Is Come it really? You can, you can be an honorary family member now. <laughs> yes. Mark Ostriker. And it said how the teenage brain works. And I was like, okay, that's fascinating. So I looked you up and your whole ministry is fascinating. Just the the work that God has had you go through and do. You've got a ministry called the Youth Cartel. Um, I can find you on YouTube with five minutes with Marco. So, um, you know, Mark, just tell tell our parents before we dive into um, some of the brain developmental issues of teenagers, just how did, how did you get into this work and kind of what was the path God took you on to where you are now? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I grew up... Um... Uh, in a wonderful home. My parents were uh, missionaries, but worked in the home office of a missions agency. And But that gave me a bigger worldview, I think. Yeah. Uh, active youth ministry that I was into and really felt uh, that youth ministry was what God was calling me to. And so, yeah, I, I, I spent a bunch of years as a professional youth worker. I focused, most of my uh, time was focused on junior hires. I was a junior high pastor. Um, great, I great ages. Love, oh, absolutely love that's, that age That's group. the developmental ages. That's so good. Yeah. And, and, and to fast forward now, I've been working with that age group for 40 years now. Okay. Um, and I've been a volunteer in the uh, middle school ministry at my church for 24 years in a row. Uh, <laughs> I have a sixth sixth grade boys small group that I, I will be leading tonight. Yes. Um, hey, when when we get to heaven, I'm getting in the the Mark Ostriker line to see the crowns that you'll be getting for 24 oh, years of of junior high youth ministry. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and so I've led a couple of organizations. One was called Youth Specialties, uh, okay. and that that was kind of the big dog of uh, youth worker training and developing. Uh, and when that organization got sold, that is when I started the Youth Cartel. And yeah, that's what we do. We resource uh, and train uh, 
youth workers. That's how I know Johnny Farr. He went uh, through a year long leadership development program that I ran. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, I'm also an author. I've written uh, over 70 books and um, uh, married for 38 years to Jeannie, who's a child therapist. And we have two kids who are 29 and 25. Oh, man. Awesome. That is so cool. So how did the uh, the fascination with the development of the brain, where did, where did that arise? Yeah, it really, uh, it really started because I uh, stumbled into junior high ministry. Like I yep. knew I was, I knew I wanted to do youth ministry and the church that I first started to uh, work at needed help in both areas. And they asked me to take junior high. Okay. And it wasn't, I will literally say it wasn't like a calling to junior high at that point. But the more I worked with that age group, the more I realized they've got this underdog status where they're uh, misunderstood and underappreciated and uh, they people they drive people crazy, which is fair. They drive yeah. me crazy at There's, times, yeah. too. A little bit of um, truth in there. <laughs> I started studying more about them, reading more about them. And yeah, along the line, just started uh, realizing that really to understand pretty much any wacky or sullen or normal behavior for teenagers in general, mm -hmm. but particularly for young and middle teens, you've got to understand what's going on in their brain. They're mm -hmm. very different animals than children or adults uh, going through a really significant uh Time in fact, I would suggest that the let's say four years after puberty, so about eleven to fourteen for mm -hmm. girls, twelve to fifteen for boys. Uh, those four years, I would say, are the most significant period of transition in the lifespan of the human being. Mm -hmm. Technically, birth to two years old has more changes, but uh, an infant is not a aware of the changes that they're going through whereas with young and middle teens they're seeing and feeling these changes taking place every single day uh so it becomes they will never again experience as much change in every aspect of their lives so it is a wild ride one that is uh full of excitement and anticipation and definitely full of fear and anxiety as my body turn out turning out all right am i gonna uh, i don't know why i feel this way yep. those kinds yep. of questions yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I agree with you it's such an important part um phase uh in the development of a young person not only physiologically um emotionally spiritually um I mean, just, you know, friendships, uh, just such an important part for parents to really kind of grasp that this is the time to really lean into, um, in a sense of that craziness, um, that yeah. difficulty and, and not, um, you know, not be missing during those times. Uh, and also to, to allow, right. A lot of those questions that as your young person's wrestling with things, that's a time that you want them to have a lot of questions to ask a lot of, you know, questions. Um, and so developing, I, I think kind of that you know, that pipeline of communication uh, in their younger years is so important because as they get to that, you know, preteen years, uh, there's a lot of things that they want to ask that they want to know about. And if they're not asking their parents, if they're not asking somebody at the church, um, they're asking their friends or they're going on to social media and they're finding answers that are probably very different than the answers that you want to give them. Yeah. Yeah. 
in in educational theory world, we, the there's a term for things that we avoid talking about. It's called your null curriculum, <laughs> and the idea the idea is that that the stuff that's in your null curriculum, the things you don't talk about or avoid talking about, end up teaching just as much as the things you oh, intend to teach. Oh, that's so. And powerful. there's a yep. there's a there's a parenting parallel on that, right? Because I know as a dad that there were there are lots of things that I would tend to avoid talking yep. about, um, and then it, in a sense it becomes part of the null curriculum in our family. You know, it's interesting, Dan. You mentioned uh, these areas of change, and you named all five of the areas that I think we uh, we would benefit from identifying in terms of the significant changes going on in the lives of young and middle teens, and those are physical. Mm-hmm. Cog- cognitive, emotional, relational, and spiritual. And every young and middle teen is going through significant change in all five of those areas, whether they're Christian or not. Yep. Every kid that age. And I would, I would maybe a, an important statement right now is to uh, anchor our understanding of all this change in. God's loving creation intentions, yeah. because so often it's easy to look at a teenager and the kind of unpredictability, uh, occasional uh, rebelliousness, some moodiness, or at least volatile emotions mm-hmm. and all these things, and to think of them as broken or incapable. It's a very common perspective. I would say the dominant perspective of teenagers in America is that they're broken and incapable. It's one of the reasons why adolescence is extending so long in America. It used to be in the early 1800s, it used to be considered 18 months long. And then for a long time, it was considered about six years long. Adolescent specialists now consider it to be on average 20 years long. And a big part of that, I think, is because we are viewing them as broken and incapable. And our response to that we is coming from a good place, but it's not helpful. And our, that is that our response is to remove responsibility and expectation, remove consequences and those kinds of things. And so there aren't on ramps to adulthood that are very clear anymore. Oh, that is so, so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I did some parent training a couple of years ago when the coddling of the American mind came out. Um, mm. Very powerful book, not written by believers. Um, but one of the uh-huh. things we just talked about was, um, you know, how we pre- we should be preparing the child for the road and not the road for the child. And I think that's one of the difficulties that we see um, in young people when we see them as broken and incapable. Uh, we try to remove obstacles for them to make life easier. Um, and what it ends up doing is it prevents them from really fully developing later on. It may be simple right now and it may be easy right now and it may help them you know, when they're 11 and 12, when you've removed the obstacles, but it hurts them when they're 24 and 25 and, and later on in life. So I, I see yeah. that reality so often. You know, I, I'm i not throwing stones at anybody because you wonderful listeners, I don't know you, <laughs> but my general observations, maybe I'm yep. throwing a stone at myself more than anything else. I think our motivation primarily when we do that approach, that unhelpful approach of removing obstacles and um, removing consequences and removing responsibilities even, mm-hmm. right? When we do that, it's more about us than it is about what we want for them. It is. 
It's more about us as parents because there's been this weird pendulum swing over the last 20 years where parents in America have been told and we have bought the idea that our primary role is to keep our kids happy. And a happy kid then is a reflection we perceive of our own desire to be happy. If our kid's happy, then I can be happy. And if my kid's not happy, then it's somehow a reflection that I'm not good at parenting and therefore I can't be happy. Um, and it's just a, it's a cultural lie. It's yeah. just not true. Yeah. So the, the question that I ask parents to consider, I ask youth workers to consider this too, is do you see teenagers as a problem to be solved or as a wonder to behold? Ooh, that's and good. I think the majority of people are on the problem to be problem solved to be side. Solved. If they're Absolutely. honest, certainly honest. our culture. Yep. Is, but man, if I, I I think it's fair to say that the God perspective is that they're a wonder to behold. And of course, they're messy and challenging at times. But there's something unique and beautiful going on here in this unique developmental stage of life that uh, is was something that God has always dreamed of and has always intended yep. for God's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just think of the verse uh, in Proverbs where it talks about, you know, the uh, the stalls are clean where there are no oxen. Um, but where there's oxen, there's going to be a mess. Uh, and I think about you know, when, when Jesus did his ministry and, and what we have recorded of his ministry um, is his disciples were a complete mess. Um, and uh, if if yeah. we think if we think we're going to do a better job of training our kids than Jesus did of training his disciples, that if we're not going to have mess, we're going to make it all easy. Our kids are just going to pick it up and get it and say, you know, thank you, parents, for disciplining me um, and uh, and training me. And uh, you know, and it's just it, it is a it is a long process. It is a it's a wonderful process. But you're right. If if you have an attitude of um, you're a problem and I need to fix you. As opposed yeah. to, man, God's got something incredible for, for, for you. And I'm just so blessed to be able to walk on this journey with you. Um, I can't wait to tell you the mistakes I've made so you don't have to make the same ones. <laughs> right, right. And, and yeah. I can't help you to navigate. I can't wait to help you navigate some of the you know mistakes that you're making because you're going to make them. Right. And, yeah. and if, if yeah. your kids are not going to make mistakes, they are simply not going to learn. That's that's how we that's how we learn the best and how it really uh, yeah. uh, hits us. So what about the just the, the brain development, um, the yeah. five? Right. What, yeah. what, what does that look like in terms of that growth in those young people? What, what have you so, seen? So the physical change, of course, you, you know about. Amen. Uh, yeah, it's obvious in front of our <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's yes. wild, yeah. but it's obvious. So I don't need to spend a whole lot of time there. I will, though, just as one statement there, say you can't find a young teen, particularly anywhere in the world, in any culture who at some point doesn't believe that their body is developing wrongly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's very normal for uh, kids in the two years following uh, the onset of puberty as their bodies are changing dramatically to think, oh, this is not right. Sure. Oh, uh, it, it's so, too fast. It's too slow. It's too this. Yeah. It's too that. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so super important for yeah. us as parents to have a uh, ministry of yes. normalizing their experience. That's right. Um, so that. we can move on. The cognitive change is the one that we really need to understand because all the other changes, emotional changes, relational changes, and spiritual changes are all a result of the cognitive change. Okay. So what's happening is that the brain goes through, and you know this, Dan, the brain goes through several stages in how it processes 
information and understands what's true. There's five or six of these stages throughout childhood. And as we move uh, through puberty, we gain the last of those stages. So it seems a little, uh, it's hard for us as adults to fully conceive of what it would be like to have our brains rewired to think in a whole new way because we've been using the current way for so many years. Right. But the, the summary of it is that we are, we move from being limited as preteens to limited to concrete and black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. But as we move through puberty and into the teenage years, we get this new ability to think abstractly. Now, abstract thinking, it offers lots of things, but probably the simplest way to understand it is that it provides the opportunity for speculation, which is wrestling with what if and why questions. What if and why? And those are both Conscious, like questions that we're literally thinking about and often are just taking place at a subconscious level. The other aspect that really starts to reinvent a lot of things is uh, the on with abstract thinking, we get third person perspective. And that's being able to perceive myself from someone else's point of view or perceive another person from someone else's point of view or even to think about an idea from someone else's point of view. Mm. Now, you can imagine how if I don't have the ability to speculate or exercise third-person perspective, both my experience of emotions, definitely my experience of relationships, and my experience of faith would be dramatically different. In many ways, this is why I tend to say that kids in the preteen stage, I'm going to call that 9 to 11 years old, are in years of concluding. In fact, maybe a helpful rubric for everyone is about birth to four years old are years of discovery. Mm -hmm. And then roughly five to seven are years of testing. And then in those preteens, you know, fifth graders, really, we see uh, these years of concluding. Man, those kids are, they think they've got everything figured out. And their brains are wired for that, it's right? So true. And, then, and then puberty comes along. Yeah. I used to think of it, a mentor of mine used to say that puberty comes along like a tsunami and wipes out all that conclusion. But I've discovered over a handful of years, that's really not accurate. It does come along as a sea wave and crashes into that wall of conclusion, but it brings erosion. It doesn't dismantle it all at once. Gotcha. And so what we start seeing here, here's what I mean at a day-to-day level, parent. When your kid expresses a doubt, what is taking place there is actually a, a very important part of the shifting in their brain. And part of what God designed and necessary phase of development for them to go through for them to get to a place of flourishing as an adult and having a robust faith. So that doubt that if we could reverse engineer it, there was once a conclusion there mm-hmm. as a preteen in that area that became a doubt. But now as that kid's brain starts to think in new ways, a question comes up, usually a practical question. It could just be conceptual, mm-hmm. but it's it's often something like, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, a 12, I'm a 13-year-old. I believe that God answers prayer. I find out that my favorite grandpa has been diagnosed with inoperable cancer and is given about a year to live. 
And I remember in my Sunday school class how they taught me that if I have a faith in mustard seed, I can throw a mountain into the sea. So I'm going to pray every day for my grandpa, and I'm going to pray that cancer mountain into the sea. Now, that's all good and beautiful. We want that kid to believe that and pray that. But then grandpa dies six weeks later, and that's when the question of what do I do with my belief that God answers prayer, it, it didn't work. That kid has three options, which would not have been available to him prior to puberty. That's right. what we're talking about. This is yep. a brain function. Option one is to say, well, it, it didn't work, so I'm going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. And you've probably seen some of the statistics. It's quite um, normal for teenagers who are active in a Christian home, in a youth group, to walk away from their faith either in the late teen or early 20 years. And I would say it's not because they woke up one day and said, I've considered all of this and have chosen to reject it. Instead, (laughs) it's been Swiss cheesed over a number of years as these little pieces of questions have been unexamined. That's the, that's the key here. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Kara Powell says, uh, it's not that doubt is the enemy or the problem. It's unexamined doubt, yep. right? Doubt actually can be a wonderful gift to move us to a new place. Yeah. So Johnny's Johnny, our, our case study here, his first option was to throw it away. And right. if he throws it away, he'll throw away little bits and pieces of his face over a number of years till he eventually there's not enough there there and he walks away from it. Second option is to say, well, that didn't work. My prayer didn't work. My belief about prayer didn't work, but it's all I have. So I'm going to hold on to it. And he stuffs it back into his backpack of faith. And this is why so many of our churches have adults who are Christians technically, but not living a vibrant faith because they're living with an eight-year-old's faith. Amen. Jesus pray. Jesus prays childlike faith, not childish faith. And they're not the same thing. They're right? not the same thing. Amen. Yes. Johnny's so op- third option-, option three is... The hardest one is for him to raise that question from subconscious to conscious. If it's an older teen, he might be able to do it himself. But listen, parents, this is a role that we play. Uh, I'd much rather have parents play this role than a youth worker. Youth workers, backup. You guys are primary seat. So let's say uh, you're at dinner table and you say to this fictitious Johnny, your kid, your wonderful kid, you say, hey, Johnny, would you pray for uh, dinner tonight? And Johnny says, I don't know if I believe in prayer. Yeah, yeah. Right? That is an indication. Something's going First on. All, <laughs> freak, out on the, freak out on the inside, right? And make a mental note to have a conversation with Johnny about that. Because what he's revealing, he's revealing to you his brain in that moment. And he's revealing that there's something that brought, has brought question to this previously concluded belief bit that God answers prayer, but he doesn't know what to do with it. And so the, we need to raise it to conscious level, talk about it, look at what the options are for a more abstract, more robust belief about prayer that will last longer. Uh, and, th- and that's our job. I tell youth workers all the time. That's my, you know, my main field is training youth workers. I tell them all the time that my definition of great youth ministry is walking alongside teenagers on their own journeys toward Jesus. And That's in right. many ways, I think it's the same for parenting uh, as opposed to 
once our kids are in this age group, as opposed to positioning ourselves as the final authority on everything, instead to start to move into a place of walking alongside them. That doesn't mean we're peers, but it means that we adjust our perspective because we want them to move into a place where they're taking ownership of things. Yeah. And I've had so many different conversations with young people. So Johnny, right. It's not just, you know, grandpa dying. Um, it's being rejected by friends. It's, yeah. um, you know, you, you do the right thing and, and uh, it doesn't work out for you. Right. You know, Hey, I studied hard and I, I got to see on the test. Right. I mean, whatever it is in their journey, um, if they're not allowed to wrestle with these things and, and contemplate and ask questions. And I always think, you know, from a parenting standpoint, God is not afraid of our questions, right? When you look at the ministry of Jesus, he asked more questions than he answered. And so um, the idea of how important it is um, to notice what's going on in the life of our students and to kind of push into those areas that you can see, hey, there's a there's something going on there in his, you know, his or her development. And I need to lean into that. And I need to ask those questions and I need to be open to to them um, formulating, right? Here's what's going on in my mind. I, I can't make sense of it, but here's here's what I'm wrestling with. And as opposed to pushing that down, because you're right, I think a, a number of churches and a number of parents have done that over the years. They've, hey, you know, we don't ask that question, right? That just means you don't have enough faith. And it's like, oh, well, okay, then I don't ask questions. And, and right. you know, it, we, we end up with watching those people either, yes, as you said, you know, live a eight-year-old, you know, faith in the, in the rest of their life, and it, it does not help them, um, or they have to reject it, because it, it's just, it's a faith that does not relate to the problems that they see in the world, and so they say that yeah. doesn't make yeah. sense. So yeah. what a, I mean, hey, what you a, know, what a Dan, beautiful picture, I, though. I love that. I just realized I didn't, come. Uh, I started unpacking uh, something about 10 minutes ago and <laughs> didn't finish it, so... <laughs> I told you birth to four were yeah. years oh, of okay. discovery yeah, yeah. and four to seven was testing and then concluding. And then the, then puberty comes along Okay, and it doesn't uh, dismantle it, but it definitely starts to bring erosion. And the young teen years, yeah. which I would call 11 to 14, once again become years of discovery. Yes. Just like the earliest days of life in yeah. uh, birth to four years old. And then... The older teen years, which I'm going to call 15 to 20, 18 means some things legally, but not a lot uh, developmentally anymore. So 15 to 20 become, once again, years of testing. And then the 20 something years become years of concluding. Okay. And really, uh, as we've seen this extension of adolescence, that's how it's talked about now is three substages the young teen or early adolescent years, which would be about 10 or 11 to 14 years old middle middle adolescence or the late teen years those are synonymous terms that would be what we think of as high school and maybe the first two years of college and then the 20 something years used to be called uh uh late adolescence but nobody in their 20s wants to be called an adolescent no, so totally. now the proper term is emerging adult uh and so yeah they've almost really become three separate fields of study yeah, that is fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I love just as a as a parent thinking through these things. We spend a lot of it. My wife and I spend a lot of our time with younger parents um, mm -hmm. on on their journey. Um, just kind of you know encouraging them that 
um, you know, the situations that are coming up for them, it's it's great to prepare for uh, and develop, right? Like stay a step ahead of where your kids are because you know, here's what's coming next. Um, what would you say in terms of just like some resources for our parents um, in each of those different stages? If you could kind of look ahead and say, hey, my kid's three, but I want to get ready for them when they're seven. My kid's seven. I want to get ready for them when they're 15. What What would be some things that you might encourage our parents to look for? Uh, the honest truth is I have no idea what to recommend if you're a parent of a three or a seven-year-old. It's just not my area of focus. My area okay. of focus starts at about about 11, right? Okay. Um, I will tell you that I, uh, I, I, I'm not trying to self-promote, but I, I've written a bunch of books and many of them are for parents. So Perfect. there's a book specifically for parents of young teens called Understanding Your Young Teen. Uh, um, and there's one a little broader and much shorter called A Parent's Guide to Understanding Teenage Brains. Mm. Um, so you can find all that stuff on Amazon if you could just ever, even your know, wildest uh, guess, try to get my last name. Then you oh, Striker. Those. It's easy. Come on. <laughs> this, is, this is great. <laughs> the best piece of mail with a misspelling I ever got was somebody who had heard it, obviously, yeah. and thought it was Irish. And so it was... they. They address it as O oh, apostrophe striker. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Sounds like an action well, hero. I will I will put some links uh, in the show notes to some of the books and some of the resources that you have out there so our parents can find them. So um, I'm just telling you, Marco, your, your ministry is fantastic. Um, I'm super excited about you being here in the fall. Um, so our parents can spend a little bit more time with you. Um, you know, I, I know you've got a lot more information. Um, I mean, just imagine 24 years of, of you know, youth ministry and all the different things that you've done. Um, you, you know, you've got a wealth of, of resources and information. And uh, I just appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit, right? The tip of the iceberg of yeah, that. That is um, the tip. Yes. Yeah, but but it's it's really helpful. I think my yeah. takeaway, my biggest takeaway is just the, the attitude of parenting um, to look at it even with the mess, right? To look at uh -huh. it as just an opportunity to do life with our kids. What a blessing it is to have children. Um, you know, we're at a Christian school and so we get to partner with parents and we get to do life together with them. Um, and yeah. it's, it is, it's such an important time that, that, you know, those middle school years to do life together, um, you know, the world is throwing a bunch of things at our children um, to distract him, to discourage him, to dissuade them, um, to, you know, to limit them. And, uh, and God's got big plans for our kids. Um, yeah. and not only for their own life, but really to, to be a light to a dark world and, and to really um, shine his glory out there. So it's a, it's a really neat opportunity to be parenting. It's a great time uh, to be parenting and preparing our kids for the opportunities that God has for them. And uh, I'm just, I'm thrilled that you're here, um, you know, to help our parents kind of have that right attitude and then supply some of those resources as well. Absolutely. Blessings on you people. Amen. Well, I appreciate the time and uh, go out and enjoy the rest of your sunny California day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I will. I will. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Uh-huh. Thank you for investing the time to listen to this episode of The Journey. Please take a minute to share with friends and family who will also benefit from this valuable resource. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It is truly our blessing and honor to walk with you on The Journey.